0: The Old Testament reading for the sixth Sunday after Trinity is from Exodus chapter 20, beginning at the first verse. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth, and you shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. The epistle is from Romans chapter 6, beginning at the first verse. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Now if we have died with sin, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. For the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves Dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Though we may not, in our day and age, have kings and dukes, nobles and lords, we still understand the concept of authority. We get it. We all know it. We all have some authority over us. We're all not just able to do whatever we want in this life going back even from the beginning when we are born, we are placed under the authority of our parents, the ones who raise us, who train us up in the way that we should go, who teach us how we are to behave in this life. But even as we get older, as we move out of our parents' house, we still have those in authority over teachers and bosses at work. Somebody that is there. <clears throat> Even those who are the most powerful in business, CEOs, presidents of universities, have a board that they are accountable to. We have government, whom though we vote them in, we have placed ourselves under them, under their authority for the time in which they are in office. Our government is actually set up so that no one would be supreme. There's a system of checks and balance so that everyone is truly under someone else. And ultimately, in this life, we're all under God, the one who created us, who sustains us, and holds us in his hand. There's no one, no one who is not under some authority. In our lesson for this morning, Jesus actually has something to say. About authority. a sword. It's not blatant. He never actually says the word. But if you think about it, if you think about what he says to the crowds today in his Sermon on the Mount, it's there. It's there as he speaks of righteousness and the kingdom of God. I did it again. He doesn't actually use the phrase kingdom of God, does he? In Matthew, he uses the phrase kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven is a fairly uniquely Matthean phrase. Its counterpart in Luke is kingdom of God. But in either case, they have an equivalent meaning. Jesus uses the phrase in quick succession, in verses 19 and 20. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, when we think of a kingdom, we naturally think of the physical locality, England or Spain under the monarchs, Camelot from literature. We think of a physical place. But in the Gospels, it's not really what's meant. Though it does allude back to the kingdom of Israel under David and Solomon. The physical place where the people of God dwelt securely. It doesn't really mean that. It speaks of the people of God in a different way. Jeremiah said in chapter 33 of his book, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he will execute justice and righteousness in the land. Christ is this branch. He is the one who has come to execute justice and righteousness for God. He is the true king of Israel. But not in an earthly sense. He said to Pilate, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. It is not a place. It is a people. It is the reign of God over those who are faithful. It is the reign of Christ over those who are of the church. And from Matthew, to enter into the kingdom of heaven, carries with it an eschatological theme. It looks to the last day when Christ will come again in all power and glory and bring us to be with him. Those who are righteous will go to be with him. And yet, It seems, when you look at the words of Christ, that he's put a condition on this entering into the kingdom. There's a condition put on salvation. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So what's going on? Is Jesus truly saying here that unless you do good works more than what the scribes and Pharisees are doing, you will not enter heaven? Certainly not. We know from the rest of Matthew and certainly from the entirety of the scriptures themselves that our salvation and life is not dependent on on our own good works. Our righteousness comes from Christ. We are righteous because of him. Because of his life, his death, his resurrection. We have forgiveness and life. We truly have salvation. So what is it? What does he mean? What is he saying? For the faithful, your righteousness truly does exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, but not in a quantitative sense, not in the number and amount of things you do, but rather qualitative, in the quality of them, because they come from Christ. From the spirit dwelling within you, you now do good works. By the spirit dwelling within you, those things you do in love for your neighbor are now seen as good. Not because of you, but because of God. Because of Christ and his spirit. Since your good works flow from Christ, Your righteousness shall truly abound. Paul speaks of it this way in our epistle lesson. We were buried therefore with him in baptism in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We walk in a new life found in Christ and his work upon the cross. We have eternal life in him, but also we live this life here and now differently. We are different than those who are not of the faith, who still live in the sin which comes from heart and mind. Paul would say later in Romans 6, let not therefore or let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passion. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of righteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Do not let sin therefore Reign in your mortal body, in your limbs, in your heart, in your mind. Do not let sin have authority over that which you do and say in this life. We now live to righteousness, not to sin. Christ reigns over us, not sin. We're to present our members our limbs, our minds, our hearts, our whole being as instruments of righteousness, doing those good deeds which God has prepared before him. We should not allow sin to reign. And yet, too often that is exactly what we do. We who still contend with sin in this life too often allow it to have authority and power over us so that our actions are determined not by grace and righteousness, but by sin. And as Christ points out in our gospel, anger is a prime example But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. The one who lets anger and grudges fester in his heart has allowed anger to rule over. He has become a slave to anger. That anger would determine what he does in this life. Sin rules over you. The grudge we harbor in our bodies becomes the driving force of the actions we take against our neighbor. It is not grace, mercy, and righteousness that decides what we do. But instead, the old Adam within us. And this, this is even worse, when we do this against one, the brethren of faith, the very brothers and sisters, the bond deeper than anything else in this life. Anger does us no good. It does no good for our neighbor. It should not control us. <coughs> But again, Paul says later in Romans chapter 6, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. It's a bit of a peculiar line for Paul to say. He had just said earlier in the chapter that these people were not to have sin reign over them, speaking of it as though it were a possibility. It could happen. He even says it in a sense that they are to stop having sin reign over them. It is a present reality, and they are to stop doing it. So how can he speak now in this way, so assuredly that sin would not have dominion over them? It is Christ. As Luther says in his lectures on Romans 6, for the Lord permits him to be tempted and attacked right up to the end, like gold in the furnace. Temptations come against us that we might be refined like a precious metal, that we might not have sin reign over us. Suffering and temptations come that we might be made stronger in the hope That we have in Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the the temptation. He will also provide the way of escape. That you may be able to endure it. The Lord grants you strength to endure and overcome temptation. He will give you the way out that sin and temptation might not reign over you. But instead, his grace and mercy. He will give you the way out. Pray that you might endure and that sin might not have authority over you. You are redeemed. You are baptized. You have the spirit that you might be strengthened. Live as one who is this way. And Luther would even say concerning temptation, but temptation becomes a servant when we resist it because it then produces a hatred of iniquity, and a love of righteousness. By resisting the temptations which come our way, the very welling up of anger in our bodies, we come to hate the sin which resides in us and to love the righteousness which has been given to us. We come to turn away from the old Adam which resides in us and turn evermore towards cross and empty tomb. As it is said, as one learns more and more of theology and scripture, one only sees himself as more the sinner he actually is. This then causes him to run ever more towards Christ and his righteousness. The Lord is truly faithful. We are his. He covers us in his righteousness that we might be clean, purified of the sin which would creep into our hearts. He will strengthen. He will keep us that we might remain until the end. He has given to us new life that we might live towards him and towards our neighbor. He has given to us new life that we might live with him eternally. Our righteousness truly about exceedingly greater than that of the scribes and Pharisees. For we have Christ righteousness. Sin shall not rule over it. We shall not obey its passions. The old Adam in us is daily drowned in the waters of baptism, and we are born again to water and the Spirit, that we might live a newness of life. Our righteousness is Christ. Let us live towards that. Let us put off all temptation by the Spirit which resides in us. Let us do as our Lord would have us do. And may we ever fix our eyes upon the source and origin of our abounding righteousness. Upon Christ and His cross. In Jesus' name. Amen. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the fifth chapter. Glory be to you. Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you,